You are listening to KG Mwekezi on SAFM. I know opera lovers are in opera heaven. It's not opera Christmas. Sbongile Kumalo with Umubansugu follows Pretty Ende with La Traviata. And that is because many people always thought that classical opera in South Africa, which you know was regarded as a Western and colonial art form that was the preserve of white people during the apartheid era uh, would die with democracy in 94. Instead, actually, the opposite happened. Black singers emerged as the new stars and the new format of opera began to be Africanized. And we want to talk about this with Dr. Wayne Muller, who joins us now uh, to talk about this observation. And it actually led him to do his PhD. He highlights how he, you know, uh, you know, it, as I said, it was deemed to be a colonial art form uh, and over the years it has been advanced by black people. He's talking about the love of opera and how it's been Africanized. He joins us. If uh, you didn't know, Dr. Wayne Muller is a research fellow at Africa Open Institute for Music, Research and Innovation at the University of uh, Stellenbosch. Were you in opera heaven when you heard those songs? Good morning, Dr. Muller. Good morning, guys. And thank you so much. Were you in opera heaven when you had those two songs? It was. I, I only had Monday tomorrow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you know, there was this uh, very rigid belief from the lovers of opera, uh, like you, you rightfully say, uh, the, you know, in uh, especially at the at, at the at the end of apartheid and the advent of democracy in South Africa, that oh no, this colonial art form that we love and that is the preserve of us white people is just going to die as a democracy gets in, and actually it looks looks to me on the outside like it's almost sort of being reinvented. You even did a whole PhD about it. Talk to me. Yes, yes, I did. So, well, the apartheid government, I think, tried to frame it as something that is only a white domain. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why we come to, when we come to the end of apartheid during the 80s and 90s, we, we have this debate in the country, but I mean, but it's not only in, in classical music, it was in theatre and all the other art forms and also broader, about about whether things that are Western European and the things that we were compelled to do during the apartheid era and colonial era before that, is that is South African and is it part of who we are as a South African nation? So I think that question came around when we started talking about the Rainbow Nation and going into that era mm-hmm. of the early 90s. What, what is it that, that makes us South African and what are these things that, we, that are foreign to us that we, so that, uh, that we shouldn't uh, or not want in our society? But I think opera was one of the things that was framed as something that is totally it's elitist, it's from Western European, but also in the indigenous art forms which did not get their full rights and stages in the country. How do we... Sort of how do we make opera relevant to the to, to South African society? Mm. Because it's, it's, it's an art form that comes from somewhere else on the other side of the continent. So I think that was the, the debate was around that how do you make it relevant? How do you make it survive? But also with, with keeping in mind that there are other art forms that also need to develop in that space. And not only art forms, not only within European art forms. Yeah. So that's, yeah. Yeah. 
so then where do we track the establishment of it in Africa? Is it directly through, uh, you know, Western Europe um, and it coming through uh, that colonial legacy? Yes, so yeah, when we talk about opera and the way that we see it in South Africa specifically, it has a, a history of of being from the colonial period. So we, what we see in documentation or that things that have been documented in history, mm. and obviously we don't have all of that, but it means that that would be bound by the colonial rulers and apartheid at the after that. Is that it came around to South Africa around in the early 1800s? I think 1800s and See, they around, it was the first sort of traveling European theater company. Mm-hmm. And they came to, to Cape Town, for instance, well, mostly to Cape Town, and performed in makeshift theaters, and they performed productions of light French operas or light English operas, depending on where they came from. Mm-hmm. So that was how the art form sort of developed in the company. They went of theaters as such as the, the concept that we have today of formal theaters with lighting and stage and all that. Yeah. There were, there were some makeshift theatres and they performed these operas, operas. And eventually in 1831, in the newspaper, we see that at the time that it was reported there was the first local production. Yeah. Meaning, I suppose, people from the from Cape Town have been living here more than a decade or three. And they produced the opera, which is the Freischutz, from Calmaria von Weber. And that's a, a German opera and it's a German romantic opera which came in 1932. So we started then started to professionalize opera and started to make our own form, art form. But obviously it was in colonial era where the rest of the population was excluded from participating in opera. And it came specifically via Cape Town into South Africa. Why Cape Town? I think, well, it's not a city, so I suppose it was the port where most people, settlers, colonial settlers, came through. Mm. So they came around to the, to the Cape Point and they came in via the Cape to the country. Eventually, those groups traveled to the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. So I believe uh, the Jobacone developed around the, the end of the 19th century. So they traveled in other other areas of the, of the Cape Colony then and further afield in the, in the country. Yeah, so, but but I think it's because there's a port here, and it was sort of a, if you come around the west of Africa, you end up in Cape Town. Okay, I, w- I want to come back uh, and and talk. Uh, you know, its transformation and evolution uh, in South Africa. We are in conversation with Dr. Wayne Muller as we talk. Uh, you know, opera in South Africa. We'll continue our conversation with Dr. Muller in a short while. Hashtag SAFM Talking Point. Welcome back. It's 11.24 on uh, The Talking Point. We're talking opera, its evolution, with uh, Dr. May- Wayne Muller, who joins us. Uh, and he made an interesting uh, uh, you know, observation that led him to do his PhD around it. And he highlights how uh, opera was deemed to be a colonial art form that has ultimately, though, over the years, been advanced by black people. And uh, he is a research fellow at Africa Open Institute for Music music, research and innovation at the University of Stellenbosch. So let's talk the evolution because, uh, you know, as, as as somebody who watches operas uh, on the outside, a sort of story is written around an opera and uh, most of those stories uh, trace, uh, you know, their leanings obviously to a colonial past. So how then did we reach a point where, uh, you know, uh, stories like uh, sto- the story of Princess Magogo here in 
South Africa ends up being written and Smongile Kumalo performing it as an African uh, opera, mm-hmm. opera uh, performance. How did that transformation begin and, uh, you know, where is it now? Yes, that requires a very long order, but the short of it is, I think, with the, with the social political changes in the country, come 1994, previous from previous times, from the end of the 1980s, we started, as, as I said earlier, started questioning where art forms fit into this. And I think the thing that we did in South Africa was, because there has been a slight tradition of, of, of localizing opera, making it more South African. And there was a production in 1985 in Cape Town of the Fleur de which is a, a German operator, and that was translated into Afrikaans and set in Cape Town. So there was that thing that has happened, that happened uh, that the history of just translating opera into English and Afrikaans. So we have a kind of an idea of how we can... can convert those traditional operas, Western traditional operas that you talk about, how we can do that in a more South African way. But I think when the 90s came, the social political circumstances changed and we thought about, but what does it mean to us as a South African nation? Mm. We, we started doing more in-depth changes into to the work. So we see there was a production in 1997 of Labo M Noir, which is Puccini's Labo M opera, but the, which is set in, the, in Paris in the, at the start of the 20th century. And we see that changed into a setting in, in Soweto. And mm-hmm. it's set near 16 June and the student process of 1976. Mm-hmm. So we started doing that with, with, with those Western European operas, changing it and making it setting it in places where, that we can recognize, that most of us can recognize and that we can identify with instead of Paris and cafe life in Paris. I mean, that's not, that's not something that we, we all know. So we started doing that, and, and with that, along with that, there's also the composition of new South African operas. So mm-hmm. we've added not around 20 operas, I think, more than 20 probably, between 1995 and today. Yeah, certain South African operas that written by South African composers and tell South African stories. Yeah, so so the, it's it sounds to me that it's also in very intrinsically linked to the unraveling of apartheid because there was no way colonial stories could continue being perpetuated when you know a people were saying we want to assert ourselves and we have our own stories. Indeed, indeed. So it was about you know, questioning why are we doing these stories that are. Uh, Western European context and mm. about kings and royalty and and the aristocracy of, of Europe. Mm-hmm. It's not relevant to our society. So it was about that questioning and, and there are other art forms in which it also happened. So theater and and art, visual art also had the, the same sort of debate and question. I mean, opera, it was it was a lot about what are the stories that we tell on mm-hmm. the stage mm-hmm. and how does it sound? So, I mean, opera comes with a sonic yeah. Sonic thing. So you have to listen to opera and things sound very easily. I mean, the walls sound very Austrian. So it is very specific. Music sounds from where it comes from. What, what are the that, elements, what are the elements, Dr. Muller, that an operatic mm-hmm. story has to have, uh, you, you know, for it to find resonance and not lose the essence of what makes it a great opera, even if you adapt it uh, to, uh, to suit um, an, Africa, an, an African approach? What, what is always at the essence of it? I think of the essence of opera is that it's music. 
Mm. It's a musical, theatrical form. So it's a form of music theatre, and there are obviously other forms of music theatre that also exist. Mm-hmm. So have, I mean, something like cabaret is also a music theatre. So opera is a very specific music theatre that just a form that we've, we've identified, that we've defined, mm-hmm. but it has other forms also. I mean, in Africa, they are, as if you talk about in Nigeria, we have Yoruba opera that is not so distinctly related to Western European opera. There are things in Somalia that music theatre, which are called opera, but it has no, no relation to what we think of in opera. So there are different forms and different traditions of opera also on this continent. Yeah. So, yeah. So and then you know and then the the stars that emerged start to be black. Uh, Pretiende, uh, Sbongile Kumalo, uh, Pumeza Majigiza. I could go on uh, Sbongile Mgoma. The stars that emerged specifically start it started to look as African as they sounded. Tell me how that transition was received by the so-called, what's the right word I can use, purists or, or, or lovers of, of, of opera, especially considering they probably uh, were very aligned to where it is that, that it comes from. Yes, so I've read a book that sort of also formed from my, from my PhD research, mm-hmm. and it looked specifically at critics. So the, the book is called Operating Set on the Critics Voice. So it looked at how critics dealt with, with what was happening on stage and those changes that happened on, uh, on stage. And we see at the beginning of, of, in the 90s, when we started changing opera as such to making it more South African, that there was sort of there is a skepticism from it. Will it work? And there's some interviews with conductors, mm-hmm. I think it was around 1997, that's it, but because there was also in composition of classical music, this thing about it, the combining the Western tradition and indigenous South African music form and combining that into one. So there's a lot of, a lot of debate around what does it sound like? Mm-hmm. So I, I think at the beginning, people were skeptical about what, what will happen. And as we d- developed and, and refined that sort of, thing between the Western, well, opera remained the Western form, mm-hmm. but telling other stories and merging, and it's so you can see in the writing of critics that it, that perspective changed, and it was, this is actually what is relevant in, in South Africa today, and not the other thing that we see, that we've always seen and were taught to, to like, as opera. So there is, is that change, and it was, at the beginning, yes, the skip. But it evolved very quickly into accepting what is that and, and seeing the advantages of how it, it creates an audience also for opera in the country. Yeah. There's a question from one of our listeners, Kaz in Durban, who's asking, what happened to the, um, if I mispronounce it, please forgive me, but I, she writes it as the Aeon Opera Group, A-E-O-N Opera Group, yeah. that performed during the apartheid era. I seem to remember that they were a black group from Cape Town. Yes, so the Aeon Group, I, I was involved in writing an oral history about the group. The book that was published in well, ten years ago in 2013 on the Owen group, and they, they were a group. Well, the Owen, the organization was started in 1913 already, but it eventually had a choir and it developed. It was specifically created for for social upliftment, if you can say it, of the colored community in District 6 in Cape Town specifically. Mm-hmm. So it was sort of a movement. I don't know, I'm not sure why specifically that community, but. 
it was focused on their choir eventually, and that choir developed into singing opera music, and eventually they did their first opera production, La Traviata, mm. the same opera that Pretty Henderson had accepted from in 1956. So they had 30 years during apartheid doing, I would say, on a, on a different band of history, opera, not in the, in the, in the white um, formal lane of, of opera, but they had their own traditionally of opera, and they were they were thought of as an amateur group, although some of their productions were professional, and it wasn't a professional orchestra. It was just the time that they performed in. So they performed opera during 1956 and 1977, their last opera. Yeah. But the group, the young group still in Cape Town, it's more focused on dance now, and it's situated in Athlone at the Joseph Stone Theatre. Mm-hmm. So that group is still still around, but not doing opera. And they had a, they had a really big few publications written on. So one of my colleagues, Dr. Hilda Ruerke, wrote a book, the La Traviata Affair, which is specifically about that, the Traviata productions of them that toured the whole country during that era. And it was the first production and the last production in 1997, so sort of a full circle. Yeah. But yes, the group is still active as a dance, but not opera. Yeah. And we also went through that uh, sort of phase of localizing uh, historically European operas um, mm-hmm. and, and even uh, translating them, sometimes translating them even uh, to Afrikaans or an, mm-hmm. an, an indigenous black South African language. Uh, but how, how was that received? Uh, by the audiences and uh, for those uh, quote-unquote purists, right? How mm-hmm. how do they find the essence of that translation in terms of it uh, still remaining true to the intention of the opera? Mm-hmm. I, I think in terms of translation, there was more. There has been a, a tradition of that and of, of how they how we can also sing that music in different languages. Mm-hmm. But, uh, but I think that, uh, there was more skepticism that why must we translate, if it's a story about Paris in 1912, for instance, why are we doing it in Soweto in 1976? So mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. sort of must be fiddled with what the uh, artwork that has been created. And, and I think that is also maybe, and I can only, can only suggest that, that Maybe that is why we started creating our own works also, and so productively over the last 30 years. Yeah. We now have a list of about over 20 local operas that were performed on stage. That's besides operas that were composed but not necessarily performed, but the composition exists. Okay. So, yeah, so, so overall, all these changes that happened, there had been skepticism, but I think... By the end of the 90s, we started embracing what what it does and how it creates audiences. And we see a lot of these voices, and Sibongile Kumalo, for instance, who's a very good singer in Verdi, she was a fantastic singer in that repertoire, who coming onto the operatic stage and, and showing their talents. And I think that created a different, different story mm. of what opera is in this country. Yeah. So where are we now, uh, Dr. Muller? Where are we? I mean, in terms of even how we're perceived uh, uh, globally, I know we've 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 got very comfortably some superstars around the world. Uh, Pretty Ender sang at the inauguration of uh, King uh, the the uh, Britain's King Charles. Uh, Pumeza Machigiza is a, a superstar in uh, Europe, uh, particularly Germany. I think she even bases her craft 
loved in Germany, if my memory is serving me well. Smongile uh, Kumalo, I mean, not Kumalo, Smongile Mgoma, who's Smongile Kumalo's uh, niece, uh, herself one of the super. Where are we now uh, in terms of our standing at a global stage with opera? I think we're one of the countries with a lot of singers that enter the international arena of, of, of opera. And earlier this year, in October, we had the Operaria competition in Cape Town, which is Placido Domingo's competition that he started mm-hmm. in 1993, because it's 30 years this year. And, and, and previously, we also had, I think, in 2016, we had the Hans Gabor, the singing competition, international singing competition, for the first time, both of these, for the first time outside of Europe or the global north. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, we are seen as a country that produces very talented singers and singers that are across the world, across the, the big opera houses. Yeah. And this competition coming to South Africa for the first time out of this, I would out of the, their context to ours is, is an indication of that. And we've, I mean, we've also exported many productions, I think of Forgy and Bates, the Mandela trilogy, the opera about Mandela, Nelson Mandela. And we have other works that we've also exported to Europe, performed there, and they've seen that talent. And all the all the, all the singers like this year in there, and Viva Sekhapani, all of them winning these competitions. I think we have a good and, and actually a great standing in, in the opera world. And if you look, I follow a lot of opera houses on Instagram and social, the social media. So they, we always see South African singers coming up somewhere, mm. and even if it's, if it's in small roles that they're starting out or singing the big roles, there are many opera singers from South Africa, singing at the Metropolitan in New York, in London, in, in, in Germany, in Munich, everywhere. Yeah, so we've cemented our place in the world. We certainly have, yes. Absolutely. So your book, where is your book available for those that want to read some more? So the book is, you can buy it on Take A Lot, or go to Google Books, and it's also on Amazon Kindle. Okay, and the book is called? Opera in Cape Town, A Critic's Voice. Thank you so much. Somebody says I must remind you uh, about Danielle Speckman, who's an international opera singer-star from Mitchell's Plain. Do you know yes. him? I, I do know her. <laughs> she's a fantastic, she's a lovely singer. Yeah, she's performed in a few productions in Cape Town, Beautiful Voice. Listen, there are a lot of young singers coming up, and it's an exciting, exciting space to be in. Absolutely. Uh, but you know, <laughs> when we want, we just win so greatly at the things that we win at as South Africans. Thank you, Dr. Wayne. Um, thank you for making the time to educate me and talk to me about uh, opera. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you. Uh, thank you. The book is called Opera in Cape Town, A Critic's Voice. And uh, Dr. Wayne Muller is a research fellow at Africa Open Institute for Music, Research and Innovation at the University of uh, Stellenbosch. And there you have it.